0: To am if you would please. trust in the world. Learning. Learning. learning to I'm learning. Learning. I'm learning. I'm to learning. to I to to should his good, rejoined divine, the, divine with us the everlasting everlasting. and in all who will, will trust blessedness of trust mind. And obey. And the obey. 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 no man the everlasting, for there's nothing way Re- to be Re- happy in Jesus. Say, trust the Lord, lead But, Leaning on the everlasting arms. You might have to get your hand on those It was working oh, flawlessly. How sweet to walk the service. Before the Leaning Point. on the everlasting Point. arms. Oh, how bright right, the path take- grows from day to day. Leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning. Safe and secure from all arms. Leaning, leaning. Leaning on the everlasting arms Thank you. Please be seated. All right, let's take your
1: Bibles this evening. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're looking at the doctrine of ecclesiology, which is the doctrine or what the Bible teaches about the church. Now, um, there are a lot of different churches out there, right? And um, a lot of different churches do a lot of different things. And uh, not every not every place that is called a church is actually a biblical church. And uh, many of us here... Uh, this evening, I've had the privilege of growing up and being a part of a local church, and I mean a a biblical church, a church that um, is the way God would describe it, and so I want to look this this evening at just some of the different functions of a church. So some for some of us, I caught one of you filling out the blanks ahead of time, uh, so for some of us, this is a little more review, and for others... Maybe this is the very first time you've heard any of these things. We'll look at some different passages of Scripture, but I think it'll be a help to us uh, this evening. Also, for some of us, these truths, we know them, but we have children, and these are wonderful truths to teach our children. Okay, We want our children to know these things, and sometimes we just take it for granted that because we know it, our children know it, or our grandchildren know it, and that's not always the case. So I uh, hope it'll be a help to you and your family. So what is the church? And that's the question. What is the church? Well, a church is a called out assembly of born again believers. Now that's, I've, that's worded that way on purpose. Uh, a church is not a, a corporation. A church is not a building. Uh, a church is a called out assembly. An assembly meaning a group of people who assemble, come together together and they've been called out by God, they're born again. That's, that's what a church is. There's a couple of wor- words here in your handout, ecclesia, uh, kiriakon, Greek words. Ecclesia, the first one, number one, means uh, called out assembly. This is the Greek word that's used, found most of the time in the Bible in, in referring to a church. This is the most common New Testament word. Um, but we form a church when we assemble. Now that's something I want you to think about. Uh, when when we go, when we leave this place and so we go out uh, to our separate homes this evening, and we are out in the workplace, we're not assembled. Okay, we're not assembled. Now that doesn't mean we're not a part of the body of Christ. No, we're still a part of the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that we're not a part of the family of God. No, we're still a part of the family of God. And in the general sense, we're still a part of the church um, of Christ, but we're not assembled. So assembling is actually a very important thing. And it's something that the Bible teaches. Uh, In fact, Hebrews talks about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. So it's very, very important to assemble with God's people. And um, so uh, ecclesia means a called out assembly or separated. So the physical building, and know this, the physical building is not the church. If we did not have a, a physical building, uh, would we cease to be a church? Yes or no? No. Uh, now, we would still need to assemble. Maybe we wouldn't be able to assemble as, in a, as large a group as we do now. Um, In different parts of the world, there have been there have been persecution that's come upon churches. And uh, and oftentimes in those kind of places, maybe in the Middle East or uh, in China today, uh, sometimes many times they don't have buildings like this to meet. They don't have signs out front announcing or advertising. Hey, come on in. We're having we have an are you recovery or we're going to have an Awana or we're going to do family staycation. You know, they don't advertise those sort of things. No, it's a matter of let's just get our families safely to the other family's house and a few other families join. And that's the assembly. That's the church. So we're, I'm thankful for this facility. It's wonderful. I'm thankful for a platform and a pulpit and and, you know, um, thankful for the sound equipment and all these sort of things and a piano. These are all wonderful things. We take them for granted. We, when we think church, that's what we think of. We think a lot of these things. But really, uh, the church is just a group of believers who God has saved and they assemble. That's what the church is. Um, you see the, the, the other Greek word there, number two, Kyriakon, it means belonging to the Lord. Belonging to the Lord. There we go. Clem, if you uh, if it's not working, you see I'm there. Just go ahead and advance it. Belonging to the Lord. Uh, Letter B, the word church is used in different ways in the Bible. The word church is used in different ways in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus Christ identified the church as an assembly that he would build. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, The apostle Paul recalled how he had Persecuted the church. So it's used in different ways. Um, when the church is mentioned in the New Testament, over 95% of the time, the Bible is referring to a local church. Isn't that interesting? Um, 95% of the time, over 95% of the time, when the word church is found in the New Testament, it's referring to a local church. Um, how many of you can name some of the local churches in the Bible? Go ahead, Jimmy. Corinth. Sure, the church at Corinth. Somebody else? Church at Galatia. Church at Ephesus. Philippi. The Church at Ephesus. Yeah. Church at Colossae. Church at Antioch. Yeah. There was a church in Berea. Bereans. Laodicea. Yeah. Church of Jerusalem. Yeah. That's where it started. Yeah. (laughs) He said it was the first Baptist church. I don't think they would have called themselves that, but they did teach and preach the Bible. You know, it's interesting, and and these are things, not to create a, a stir or a controversy, but these are things. Sometimes we take and we live at a different time in history. Sometimes we take pride in identifiers of ourselves, and um, you know, in those days, you know, in Flushing, uh, the church people were saved. They were baptized. They were added to the church. They began to follow Christ. They began to learn of Christ. They began to be be disciples, be discipled and make disciples themselves. And and they wouldn't have had a sign. They just would have assembled. And that was the church. And there were these local churches. I think it's important when we think about what a church is, not to get caught up in necessarily tradition or in trends. But and, and those things happen. We we all are affected, influenced by our cultures. That's reality. So to say, you know, I'm not going to be influenced at all. I don't know anybody who's not influenced by something like that. We're all influenced by that. But we ought to be reminded of what the true, genuine church is and, and what they did, what they did. All right. Letter C, the Bible gives different descriptions of the church. Uh, number one a church is described as the body of Christ. The church is described as the body of Christ. I asked you to ask you to turn to first Corinthians chapter 12 and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 12. You can turn there with me if you would. First Corinthians chapter 12 and I'll begin reading in verse number 12 and I'm going to read all the way down through verse 26. Okay. Maybe verse 27 verse 12. He says this, he's talking about a church. He says, for as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond, uh, some were slaves or free men, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And he's talking about a church. Think about this. You have many members. It's, he's comparing the church to our physical bodies. He says, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Can the foot, can your foot tell you, I'm, I'm done being a foot? You know, it's kind of a silly thing, isn't it? Grant, has your foot ever said that to you? Has your foot ever said, I'm not being your foot anymore, Grant. No, it's never said that. That'd be silly. And uh, But I suppose sometimes a church member can say, you know what, I'm just tired of being the big toe around here. You know? Okay, let's keep going. He says this, verse 16, And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Paul says, If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole Uh, Were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you, nay much more. Uh those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon those we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts, that he's talking about our our uh insides, our lungs, our spleen, okay, these sort of things. Our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Wow, I would want to live without my internal organs. I wouldn't be living at all, would I? Verse 24, he says, for our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered, he has fused the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care. With, the members with it. Now, ye are the body of Christ. Every member has a different job to do. You know, you know there are some in this room and, and you would say, Pastor, I've been saved a long time, been a member of the church for a long time. And, you know, I can't do all the things I used to do. Well, you know what? I want you to know this. We need you. Not not necessarily. I'm not talking about the pastoral staff getting you, you if we're going to be healthy. Now, there might be someone here and you've, you've not been saved very long. You say, Pastor Ferguson, I'm not even officially a member of Trinity Baptist Church. But, you know, in your heart, that God has brought you here. He has brought you here. He's joining you to Trinity Baptist Church. And you say, Pastor Ferguson, you know, there if I were really transparent. There are struggles that I have. Pastor, there are things I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of. I still struggle with them, and I wish I didn't. You know what? Well, uh, we all have flesh. There is a struggle. We have to choose to follow Christ. But I want you to know something. This assembly, if Christ is adding you to this church, we need you. We need you. And it's not for any one of us to look around and say, wow, you know, they're the more comely part. You know, they... They they have abilities and talents that are off the charts and they're more important to this church than those people over there. That is a wrong attitude. That is an absolutely wrong attitude. We shouldn't have it. So a church is described as the body of Christ. Uh, You see it there in First Corinthians 12 and verse 22. Clem, it seems to be have gone away. I'll read it to you. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 22 says, nay, much more. Those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Thank you. You see it there. Those members of the body which seem to be more feeble. We could say maybe we could make application from this. Maybe some would say, well, I'm more feeble. I'm older or I'm more feeble. I don't know as much of the Bible as other members of the church. That We can say that's feeble. Or, or maybe some would say, you know what, I, I stumble, and I fall more than I, I think I should. And we can say, well, that's more feeble. But those, uh, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Necessary. Needed. Needed. So important. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 also teaches us that a church cannot function properly in the face of jealousy. We need to remember that God has placed us in the body of Christ according to his will. I didn't get to choose and you didn't get to choose in that sense. But Christ has placed us into an assembly. He adds to the church according as he wills. Number two, a church is described as a building. A church is described as a building. So we see these different analogies, the analogy of the body and now of a building. Jesus Christ is described as the chief cornerstone. We, we've studied that on Sunday mornings. He's described as a builder. and He's described as the foundation. Um, number three, the church is described as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. In uh, John chapter 14, Jesus said to his apostles, he said, I go to prepare a place for, for you. And the picture there is of the bridegroom going to prepare uh, a mansion or an addition onto his father's house for his bride and that might take a year or a certain number amount of months or some uh, allotted time and the bridegroom would go away and he would prepare a place for his bridegroom and then he would come and he would take her back and he'd bring her to her new home okay and uh and that's what the lord jesus christ is going to do to us in uh, Revelation chapter 19, you see it here. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Now, I wonder, you know, as we as a church are likened to the wife of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. Are we keeping ourselves, ourselves as a church for the groom? Do You think we should do that? Yes or no? We should. Now, the reality is, is we're all tempted. James talks about, he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. So sometimes we are unfaithful to Christ. The the Hebrew believers in the book of James were unfaithful to Christ. They were caught up in pride in themselves. They were arrogant. They were quarreling and fighting. It was sad. Uh, we ought to keep ourselves for our Lord and our Savior. So uh, the Bible talks about these different descriptions, the body of Christ and the building of Christ and the bride of Christ. Uh, number two, what are the officers of the church? What are the officers of officers of the church? There are only two officers or offices mentioned in the local church, and those are the deacon and the pastor. Now, we at Trinity. We have a plurality of pastors. We have a plurality of deacons. You know, sometimes there's a, there are churches they only have one pastor. That's that's very common, more common really. And uh, and sometimes there are churches they may have a pastor, but they don't have any men who are qualified to be deacons, and so therefore they don't have any. Or they may have one. They may have two. Okay. So we are very blessed at Trinity to have different men who are qualified to hold these offices. Uh, Letter A, the Lord Jesus Christ gives a pastor and sometimes multiple pastors to each church as a gift. Take your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 in our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 10. And in this passage... He's talking, Paul's talking to this church about gifts that Christ has given to his church. Uh, Look at verse 10. He says, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens and he, that he might fulfill all, fill all things. He's talking about Christ here. Now, what did Christ give to us? Look at verse 11. And he gave some apostles, of course, we know there were 12 of those, and some prophets There were many of those in the Old Testament and some evangelists. We have evangelists in from time to time and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did why did God give apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to the church? This is a gift, a gift from Christ, who is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of the church. He is the he is the groom. He is the master builder. What is he given to a church? Well, look at verse number 12, why he gave us these gifts. For the perfecting or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man until we all grow up. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So think about this. Christ, he died for our sins, right? He died. He took our sins upon him. He was crucified. He suffered a terrible, agonizing death. He was buried three days later. He rose from the dead. He conquered death and hell. And he ascended uh, to the right hand of the Father where he lives to ever make intercession for us. But he sent some gifts to the church. And these gifts are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, so that we can grow in being Christ-like. There was a pastor who was visiting with us this morning. and He pastors a church out in West Virginia. Yes, so Mrs. Poe, you're excited about West Virginia, no matter what happens. Um, but uh, he's from West Virginia, and you know I didn't realize he was in the room. And afterwards, he and I were talking a little bit, and uh, it struck me, and this is true for me and my experience as well, it's a blessing to sit under the Word of God as a pastor. I love hearing the Bible taught. I love hearing the Bible preached. Sometimes in Sunday school, normally I'm in the homebuilders class, but sometimes I get around to different classes Not as often as I would like, but sometimes I find myself sitting under different teachers and hearing the word of God given. I love hearing the word of God given. I need it. It convicts me. It encourages me. It strengthens me. All these sorts of things. So the teaching and preaching of the word of God, so that we will grow up in Christ's likeness. That's why these gifts are given in the church. Um, Let's continue on. Uh, There are three terms found in the Bible that describe a pastor. Number one, pastor means shepherd. Shepherd. The pastor is to lead and protect his people as a shepherd. As a shepherd would his, protect his sheep and how a shepherd would feed his sheep. He's never to drive them or run before them. He's never to leave them behind. This is what a shepherd does. Um, Paul, the apostle Paul, spoke with some of the elders of the church at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, he said this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flocks, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Uh, that's a wonderful passage. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to it this evening, but Paul wasn't able to enter back into the city of Ephesus. And so he called for the elders, the pastors of Ephesus, who he had spent years with. And he called for them to come outside of the city and meet with them outside of the city in a different place. And Paul told them, he said, I'm 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 leaving and you're never going to see me again. We're never going to interact again. And he reminds them, I, I was with you for a space of three years. For three years, I taught the word of God to you. And for three years, they would have grown in the word of God. And their love for the word of God grew and their understanding and their knowledge grew. And they had been called by God to pastor. And so they had begun to pastor. And Paul warned them of different uh grievous wolves that were going to enter in amongst the flock and destroy the church or try to destroy the church. In fact, he warns them even of some pastors who are going to cause damage to the church. And uh, before he leaves, the Bible records how they hugged his neck and kissed his neck and they wept and they, they loved him. They loved him. Pastors, a pastor means shepherd. When you see it in the Bible, that's the word pastor means shepherd. And there are three of these words in the New Testament are used to describe a pastor. Now, n- number two, bishop means overseer. Bishop means overseer. And this word emphasizes the idea of the pastor being an overseer of the house of God, of the church. A pastor is to be a shepherd. He's supposed to be in tune with his sheep. He's supposed to know what sheep is herding, what sheep is lame what what sheep needs some tender care what sheep is which sheep is spooked uh, which sheep keeps straying and or keeps falling in over the cliff down to a little ravine you got to go down and pull it out again time and time again what's wrong with this sheep uh, was it one of you who sent me a little video of a sheep recently but I don't know maybe you saw this but this this uh, I don't know what country was in but this sheep there was this like ditch. It was a pretty intense ditch. Uh, it was deep. And uh and there's this sheep head first down the ditch, and this young fellow reaches down, he's grabbing the sheep by its back leg and it's pulling, he's pulling, he's pulling, he's pulling, he's, pulling, he's really pulling. And I'm thinking, wow, the leg's gonna come off. A leg of lamb, a leg of sheep. You know, he's just pulling away and finally gets the sheep out. And this was a long ditch. He pulls the sheep out. I wish we haven't had it on video here tonight, that'd be fun. You'd enjoy it. But uh, don't Google it right now. So he pulls the sheep out, and the sheep takes off running. And he jumps over the ditch, and he bounds a couple of times, and he takes this big, long jump. I mean, it was quite an acrobatic-looking jump. But he did not clear the ditch. He went head first in the ditch again. I mean, head first. And we're talking a, you saw the video. All right, it was funny. It was hilarious, yeah. And sometimes sheep are like that. Sometimes we're like that. You know, our shepherd, our great shepherd pulls us out of the ditch, you know, and we take off again and bonk. Right. So uh, a pastor uh, is an under shepherd. That's what he is. He's an under shepherd. And the bishop means an overseer. First Peter, chapter five, in verse two. There it is. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, that's the idea of a bishop, taking responsibility, Not by constraint, not because you have to, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, that's money. Don't do it for money, but of a ready mind. One of the very first qualifications for a pastor is having the desire of a bishop. The desire to be a bishop. The desire to take responsibility and oversight. So bishop means overseer. Uh, let's continue on. Number three, elder. This is the third and final word that uh, the Bible uses in reference to a pastor. Now, let me ask you a question here. What if, would it be wrong to call a pastor a bishop? Would it be, would it be wrong to call Pastor Scott Bishop Scott? Yes or no? No. Would it, Would that be biblical? Yes or no? Is yes, it would, some of you are like, I can't say yes. It would, it'd be biblical. Now, is that what we do in our culture? Yes or no? No, it's not. So we're not going to try to force the issue. But in some cultures, they call their pastors bishop. Or they call their pastors elders. Actually, elder the words elder and bishop are used more in the New Testament than pastors used. So why did we use, why did, who chose Pastor. I don't know. That'd be a good question. I'd have to look that up. I don't know who chose that. But uh, all of these words, all three of these words describe the office of a pastor. We have elder, and the elder gives the idea of a man's mature leadership ability. First Timothy chapter five and verse 17, you see it there says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of a double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Hold your your place. Actually, hold your place. Let's go someplace. How about that? First. Timothy chapter three. Look there with me, if you would. First Timothy chapter three. By the way, we're going to have one more of these studies at the end of the month and then we'll be done with our study. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, We're we're going to save that one for last. It has to do with our salvation, but I think it'll be a great help to all of us. First Timothy chapter three and verse one. First Timothy chapter three and verse one. And here, from verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, down to verse 7, these are the qualifications for a pastor. I want you to look at them. You have your Bible open. I want you to look at them. And I'll define some of the words as we go through. It says this. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, the overseer, he desireth a good work. And that's all kinds of work. A bishop then must be blameless. That means nothing sticks. He must be the husband of one wife. He must be vigilant. That's a clear and focused mind. He must be sober. That's a man who has self-control and self-discipline. His life is characterized by that. Um, Of a good behavior that is well-ordered. He's humble. He has a humble temperament. Given to hospitality, that is, he's willing and able to serve others. Um, he's apt to teach, that is, he's willing and able and he's skilled at teaching. He's willing to put in the work and he has some skill at it. By the way, not every pastor has the same ability in teaching and preaching. And we know that to be true. Don't idolize those that are better orators and don't advise don't those who are not. Uh, value someone who teaches the word of God and preaches the word of God. Value the one who gives honor to God's word. Okay. Verse number three, he says not given to wine. Uh, So he's not, he's not a drinker. No striker. What does that mean? It means not somebody who's contentious or quarrelsome. Not greedy of filthy lucre. He's not in it for the money, but patient. He's patient. He's equitable. He's fair. He's gentle. There's a mildness to his temperament. Um, not a brawler that's abstaining from fighting. It, the, the word there literally means not macho. You know how in sports and athletics today, if someone does something, what do they tend to do? They thump on their chest, right? You know, you know, we can do one of these. So can you imagine some, a pastor preaching the message and, you know, thumping on his chest? You know, that'd be a little odd, a little odd. But that shouldn't be his mindset. It shouldn't be his attitude. It's just about life. Not macho. Um... He goes on, and he says this, uh, not a brother, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection. We've been we've been studying that word subjection on Sunday mornings, right? With government and employer, employee, and soon it's going to be husband, wife. Um, here, this, this pastor is to have his children in subjection with all gravity. Why? Verse 5, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, How shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. We could go on to another passage over in Titus chapter 1. We're not going to take time to do that, but there are more qualifications. Some of them overlap over in Titus chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. I want to look now at the the office of the deacon, okay? We've looked at the pastor. We want to look at the office of a deacon. The office of the deacon, according to letter B, the office of a deacon was instituted in Acts chapter 6. So turn there, Acts chapter 6 in your Bibles, so that the apostles could dedicate more time to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And we have some wonderful deacons within this church. I texted one of them this week because there was another one who was in the building doing a bunch of work. And I don't know if anybody called him and asked him to do it, or if he just saw the needs and he took it upon himself. But um, the word deacon means servant. Now, to serve the Lord within his church, do you have to have the title of a deacon? Yes or no? No. So please don't hold back from serving the body of Christ You say, well, I've not been voted in as a deacon yet, so I can't serve the Lord. Don't do that. Uh, Serve the Lord with gladness wherever you find yourself. Um, You're in Acts chapter 6, and I'm not. You beat me. Acts chapter 6. Look with me, if you would, at verse 1. Verse 1. It says, And in those days, this is speaking about the church in Jerusalem, Mr. Jex, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, is that a good thing or a bad thing? The, the number of disciples were multiplied. How many of us like multiplication more than addition? Well, you do if you're talking about your income. If you're talking about your outgo. You'd rather it be addition, right? But So it, this is a good thing. The church of Jerusalem is growing leaps and bounds. People were being saved and baptized. They're being added to the church. Not just added, they're being multiplied. The church is growing quickly. But notice what happens in this early church. This is so sad. Look at the middle of verse 1. He says, There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. So in this church of Jerusalem, you had believers who were of Greek origin. They were Greeks. And then you had members of this church who were Hebrews. And the Greeks in the church, were murmuring against the Hebrews. Why? Look at the text in verse number one. Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And that word ministration is where we get our word for deacon. They weren't being served. Now think about that. Widows weren't being served. The Bible tells us that, that a woman who is a widow indeed within a church, that is, she has no family to care for her. She has no retirement, or she maybe she's doing without, she's going without, she has no way to provide for herself, that the church has responsibility to help her and provide for her. And apparently there were some widows like that, and uh, the Hebrew widows apparently were being taken care of, but the Greek widows were not being taken care of, and you can understand why the Greek widows began to murmur. Uh, look at verse 2. Then the twelve, the apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them, the church, and said... It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, should a pastor or should the apostles have been willing to serve tables and do menial tasks? Yes or no? Should they have had a servant's heart? Yes, they should have. But they also had a responsibility and a gifting from God for the benefit of the church that the deacons didn't have. In other words, God had, we talked about how he's given gifts. We talked about the different parts of the body, right? There's certain things that a hand can do that a foot can't do. And there are certain things that a foot can do that hands can't do either. And so God wants us to function within the body according to our gifting. Well, here, these apostles say, hey, it is not It is not reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve. And that word serve is uh, akaneo, I believe. Again hearkens uh, to the word deacon, uh, serve tables. Wherefore, he continue, they continue in verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now I want to stop there. We're going to pick it up in just a few moments. Um, in verse 4 he says this, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So I want you to see number one in your handout. I need a little help there. A man of character, honest report. And you see that in, uh, is it in verse number three? So they're to call out seven men of honest report. That means a man of character. Number two, um, uh, full of the Holy Ghost. That is, we're talking about deacons here. A man who is characterized by the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to ask our deacons to stand tonight. I'm not going to ask their wives to say, how often, what percent of the time is your husband full of the Spirit? Okay, I'm not going to do that. None of us would appreciate that. Full of the Holy Ghost. And then number three, a wise man. A wise man, full of wisdom, full of wisdom. And specifically, especially in the area of business. Now, So they did, okay? They called out seven men, and these were men. The church, they could see these characteristics in them. They could see that these men were uh, of honest report. They could see that these men were full of the Holy Ghost. They could see that these men were full of wisdom, and so they they made them deacons. Now look what happens in verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip of... Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parin, uh, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, I want you to see what happens to the church of Jerusalem. This is amazing. Now, we might read this at first and say, you know, what were these apostles? They weren't willing to serve tables, you know. They weren't willing to deal with the Grecian widows, that was their problem. They want, Sure, they wanted to go study the Bible and pray, right? Look what happened. This is God-ordained. Look at verse number 6. Um, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Look at verse 7. And the word of God increased. It increased in its effectualness. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Now think about this. These are men who served the church. These were men who were willing to serve tables and wait tables. They were willing to do some menial things. They were godly men. They were full of the Spirit of God. They had great wisdom. That is true. Um, I believe these were deacons. But look what happens. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, I'm going to stop there. But the point is simply this. When the church was functioning, the apostles were doing what they needed to be doing. More time in prayer. More time in the word of God so that they could be teaching and making disciples. And that was made possible because there were seven godly men, full of the spirit of God, who were willing to do some of the menial tasks within that church. And I want to take a moment right now. I want to thank some of I want to thank you wives of deacons in this room. And you're willing to you know your husband stays for a meeting and what time is he going to be home, right? Is he coming home at all? Or they're they're called in to take care of some things and it's because you as a wife have nothing for them to do around the house at all because all of the jobs are all up to date, right? Not so and so not only is it men who are willing to be deacons, but also their wives are willing to support them in purchasing to themselves a good degree in serving the body of Christ. And I want to thank you publicly for that. See, the primary responsibility of the deacons is to serve Christ's body. And it's spiritual in God's sight. It is spiritual. It's not necessarily, sometimes we meet with, for a prayer meeting. But we say, well, you know what, prayer meeting, and Bible study, and then taking care of the facilities, the building. Uh, helping set a budget, you know, these sort of things. But you know what, these things need to be done. They, it all needs to be done. And in this case, these seven men, it's connected, their service, their willingness to wait tables and serve tables led to a great awakening in the city of Jerusalem, and the disciples were multiplied greatly. That is amazing to me. I I have a hard time getting over that. So although spiritual, in God's sight, the deacons are to take care of the menial tasks so that the pastor can study the word and pray. Uh, Look over to 1 Timothy chapter 8. 1 Timothy chapter 8. And I want to read. I want you to see the qualifications of a deacon. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse verse number eight, chapter three. First Timothy, chapter three, verse eight. I don't think I put it in your notes, but there's no such thing as a board of deacons in the Bible. Okay. Uh, The IRS, for uh, purposes, uh, require that a 501C3, a church, um, have a board of trustees. Trustees are not in the Bible either. Say, Seth, I don't care about any of that. But this, what we're about to read, is in the Bible. Okay, This is what God, this is what's valuable to God. And uh, look in verse number 8. Thank you, Pastor Scott. There is no chapter 8. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. And I'm going to read down through verse 13. It says, likewise, this is after the qualifications of the pastor, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, saying one thing to one person, another thing to another person. Not given to much wine, so they're not intoxicated. Not greedy of filthy lucre. They're not in it for money. They're not characterized by a love of money. But holding the mystery of the faith, which we would know that would be Christ in us, in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Or tested, examined, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave? That is, they're held in respect. We're not talking about someone's demeanor, okay? Uh, a deacon's wife doesn't have to go around very solemn. Why she's grave? No, I'm not. That's not what it's saying here. It's talking about that's talking about someone's demeanor, but their character. But notice what it says next. It's talking about the deacon's wives. Not slanderers. That is, they're not accusing other people. Their tongue is under control. They're sober. Faithful in all things. And he says in verse 12, Let the deacons be the husbands of one, one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. This is very important. So being a deacon isn't just a matter of getting votes. But in the church, you know, um, they they need to be full of the Holy Spirit. They need to have great deal of wisdom, discernment, and then there's these qualifications: ruling their children and their own houses well. Verse 13: For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know, when you go off to college, you give a lot of money, and you put in a lot of work, and when you're all done, you get a degree, right? Kelsey, you got a degree. Okay, you, all that work, all those moments of, ah, you did it. Well, a deacon, you put in, it's an investment to serve the body of Christ, and you purchase to yourself, at great cost to yourself, yourselves at times, a good degree before the Lord. This is a very special, a very special office. It's very needed. Number three, I want to look at some ordinance of the church very quickly. Ordinances of the church. Can anybody tell me what the two ordinances of the church are? Anybody here know? Here murmuring. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. I'm glad you know that, Mrs. Jex, because you teach Sunday school to our children. She knows a lot more than that. Um, But there are only two ordinances of the local church, and those are what Mrs. Jex just said. They're the Lord's Supper and baptism. Letter A, water baptism. Let's talk about that for just a few moments. Uh, It comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip under or to immerse. And uh, I want to go there, but we don't have time. We could go to Acts chapter 8, and we could talk about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and God brings Philip there to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's riding along in his chariot. Oh, that'd be cool to see, right? And he was reading from the book of Isaiah in a scroll. But he couldn't understand what the book was saying. And who was this promised one, And this Messiah, this root out of a dry ground? And, and God knew he was looking and he was ready for the truth. And he brought Philip there to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he climbed up in the chariot and rode along with him. And he told the Ethiopian eunuch, what he he was reading, and who the Messiah was. And the Ethiopian eunuch came to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ that day, and they came to a a place of water, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, Here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And baptism is identifying. It's a form of identification with a a movement or a group or a person, in this case, with with a church and with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have been that we have died with him and we've been buried with him. Our sins have been taken away and we have been saved by God to live a life that is different than we used to live. Not loving the things we used to love and not living for the things we used to live for, but to live for Christ and to live by the power of Christ. So water baptism doesn't save anybody. Okay, Water baptism does not save anybody. Uh, There's the other ordinance, and Mrs. Jex mentioned it too, and that's the Lord's Supper, letter B. And the bread represents Christ's broken body. You know, I don't really like the little crinkly cups that we have to use recently, but I'm glad we can do it. Um, I had to adjust my attitude. (laughs) Um, But when we take those wafers and we put them in our mouths and we... Grind them up. It reminds us of the body of Christ, which was broken for us. And uh, and then we take the juice, right? The grape juice. And that grape juice reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ, by which he has taken away all of our sin. We've been washed, the hymn writer wrote, in the blood. Um, And we've we've been made whiter than snow. Writers of hymns have written about this. So believers are commanded to partake of the Lord's Supper, number one in remembrance of all that Christ has done. And he says it this way, this do in remembrance of me. You know, if it weren't for the Lord's Supper, sadly, I think, if we never partook of the Lord's Supper, we wouldn't be mindful of what Christ did for us. Wouldn't that be sad? I mean, did he do a lot for us? He did everything for us. He did everything for us. He's given us life, physical life, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. He's given us his righteousness, his power in our lives. He's given us so much. And yet, if it were not for this ordinance, the Lord's Supper, we never partook of it, we would not be mindful of Christ's suffering. You know, connecting it to this morning. And that following the example that Christ has set for us. I think when I partake of the Lord's Supper, it's going to it's I'm going to be thinking a little bit differently, even than I have in the past. But I'm to follow his example. It cost him his life. Now, those missionaries I talked about this morning, they they actually had guns with them. They could have killed Those men who came to spear them and actually did spear them. And they chose not to kill an unsaved man. And they themselves died. I'm just telling you these things so you can ponder them in your ponderer. And uh, one of the missionary sons, Nate Saint's son, actually has become close friends with one of the men who speared his father and some of the other men there on that beach. And that man who killed his father ended up trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, either his father or some of the other men with a spear. And Nate Saint's father who died, Nate Saint's son, is good friends with one of the men who killed the missionaries on that beach. And their brothers in Christ. Isn't that a little that's is that possible? In Christ it is. In Christ it is. So, number two, every believer must examine himself. Every believer must examine himself and confess and forsake any sin that may be found. This is all part of the Lord's Supper. Uh, last point, Roman numeral four, and we have one minute. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? We'll run through these. Uh, Letter A is to glorify God. The church doesn't exist to do what we want. Well, I want the church to. Or I, well, I think. That's not what the church is for. The church exists to glorify God. Ephesians 3 says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The amen is part of what the Spirit of God said. May it be so. May the church bring glory to the Father by Christ. Letter be to edify its membership. The church exists to build up and to strengthen its membership. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, uh, verse 12 says this, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the edifying, Edification of the body of Christ, letter C, to purify its membership, to purify its membership. In Ephesians 5, in verse 25, verse 26 says that he might sanctify, that means to set apart and cleanse it, talking about the church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Let's talk about the church. We're purified this way. You know that gathering with a church, assembling, and remember, a church is a called out assembly of born again believers. 95% of the time, plus, in the New Testament, that's what he's talking about. Can you imagine being a member of the Church of Corinth? How many of you would say, if I'm looking for a church, I'm looking for a church like the Church of Corinth, overlooking sin, being arrogant and puffed up, thinking we can handle it our own way and not handling it the Bible way. How many of us would look for a church like that? No, we wouldn't look for a church like that. But those believers, that's where they found themselves. That was the church. They were a part of that assembly. And you know what? God worked mightily in that church. And there were times where Paul was uh, rebuking them strongly. But then in the second epistle to the church at Corinth, He's saying, you've done well, now you need to take him back. You, you overlooked it before, you were wrong before, but now this is what you need to do. They were able to do right. Aren't you glad that a church is not, its destiny is not determined by its past? Aren't you glad for that? And that way a church is like our personal lives. Our destiny our success, our ability to please the Lord is not in the future is not determined by decisions or mistakes that we've made in the past. Now, those things can't affect us. And if we've been wrong, we need to turn away from those things or we'll continue in them. Uh, letter D, to evangelize the lost. The lost. To evangelize the lost. Matthew 28, and verse 19 says, Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We have the responsibility to take the gospel to the world. Hope you don't forget this morning's message. It was rough. This passage of First Peter is kind of, it's kind of tough to swallow. But just as important it is to take the gospel to foreign places around the world, so too is it necessary for us to show the gospel right where we are, right where God has us. The last purpose for the local churches in verse E is to slow down corruption in the world. Matthew 5, Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth, that is salt that's lost its savor Good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. And so we've blown through one doctrine of the Bible, ecclesiology, doctrine of the church. What does the church mean to you? I'm not going to ask you to respond aloud tonight, but what does the church mean to you? How valuable is it to you? How precious is it to you? how are you functioning as a body, a member of the body? You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I really care what you think. <laughs> that's okay. I'm not sure that's okay, but it, it's, it doesn't matter, I suppose. It does matter what God thinks and what God knows about us. How am I functioning within the body? How am I functioning as a family member within the church that God has made me a part of? You know, pastor, maybe I've kind of had the attitude of, I'm I'm just not that important. I had my time. I put in my effort. And you know what? It's time for the next generation. And I would agree with you. It is. It's time for the next generation to step up and to serve and to grow and mature. That's needed. But at the same time, as long as you have breath, as long as God gives you breath and leaves you on this earth, he wants you to be a part of a local church. He wants to use you to edify and to make disciples and to do what we've been called to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this assembly of believers and many, many other assemblies, not only in this state or this country, but around the world. What an incredible witness. What uh, an incredible inheritance you have purchased to yourself by the blood of your son. And Father, I pray that we would be humble, that we would be teachable, that we would love you more than we love ourselves. And Father, I pray that you would, you would grow us and mature us. May we bring you glory and we show Christ. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.